as of right now on Monday, August 28th. As I'm recording this, the Seattle Mariners are in sole possession of first place in the American League West Division. Texas has taken a dive. The Seattle Mariners have taken the opposite of a dive. The standings in the last 10 games, the Mariners are 9-1 and and the Texas Rangers are 1-9. and And that is how you make up a seven and a half game difference in uh, two weeks. That's how it's done. It's pretty easy. It's pretty simple. Uh, but welcome back, folks, to the Chaos Ball Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Had to open the show with that because I've been looking at it all day. I really can't uh, fathom that at the end of August they're even in the division race at all. But here they are finding themselves in sole possession of first place of the division the latest they've led the division since pff, I was one year old, two years old, probably. Just absolutely crazy. I am going to rant about this team for a while on this episode. I've got I've got a lot of stuff to say. I will be talking a lot about the Mariners, uh, what's been happening, some percentages, how they've raised their percentage chance to both make the playoffs, both win the division, their record in July and August, the catalyst behind it all. Uh, We'll be talking some Cal Raleigh, shilling some Cal Raleigh and Julio Rodriguez propaganda in this one. Uh, And then I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the minor leagues. A couple minor league fellas have been uh, starting their professional careers off real hot and then probably close the show talking about Shohei Otani, uh, a little Steven Strasburg chat as well, potentially. Uh, but that's what we got for today. I'm going to start off, before even talking about the team, Julio Rodriguez. If you go to Julio Rodriguez's baseball reference page, bam, you're there. Look at his wonderful face. Uh, center fielder, bats right, throws right, 6'3", 228. You know, kind of Trump measurements almost. A little bit heavier than Trump, for sure. Totally accurate. You look at his nicknames, you'll see there are three nicknames. J-Rod. Classic. That is his nickname. That is what most people know him as, besides his real name. Or Julio with, what, one, two, three, four, five O's, which, first of all, I don't think that's many O's. I think there should be at least eight. I would go eight to 12 O's. The third nickname on here, which is sandwiched in the middle of J-Rod and Julio, is Acuna. Acuna. J-Rod, comma, Acuna or Julio. What? Why is one of his nicknames the last name of another fantastic baseball player who you could be like, oh, well, Acuna Dominican. No, Ronald Acuna is Venezuelan. Julio Rodriguez is Dominican. Why is that part of his nickname? What's going on here? Uh, And then even better, when you click on uh, the nicknames, it takes you to every player's nickname that's in baseball reference. And the first one that's on here is David Ardsma. Uh, which apparently his nickname on here is The D.A., which that's not his nickname to me. His nickname to me is The Aardvark. The Aardvark coming out of the manor's pen. Uh, but I tangent I tangent to that because I wanted to bring up David Ardsman. He's the first name that comes up. Julio Yarnell Rodriguez. J-Rod Acuna or Julio. Yes, everyone knows him as Acuna uh, where I come from. No, I wanted to point that out because I was on his page yesterday and I never realized that it says that. Why does it say that? So strange. Whatever. Moving on. Now, to get into the actual episode. The Seattle Mariners have been the best team in baseball in August. Probably the best team in baseball since July 1st. The Braves have continued steadily as the best team in baseball, for sure, through that through that same amount of time. August, they've been the best team. They have been simply the best team in baseball in August. They're the hottest team in baseball right now. They are just winning. They're just winning baseball games. Uh, I said this... I've said this a lot. Winning fixes everything. Listen, oftentimes when you win, things are going well, obviously. You don't need anyone to tell you that. But it doesn't matter what's going wrong if you win. That's all I've said. And all they're doing is winning. And so who cares to focus on anything that's going wrong? There's not much that's going wrong. 
But, like, who cares? They're just winning baseball games. It's it's the confidence of that 14-game win streak vibes. It's it's the it's the clubhouse chemistry. It's the fans. It's the vibes of the entire team right now that, oh, they're going into this game. Oh, they're going up a couple runs. Oh, they're just going to win this game. There hasn't been the existential dread of earlier in the season where they were just losing close games all the time and couldn't crack two games over 500. And now I go into a game, and it's, oh, they're probably going to win this one. Uh, that's just how I feel. Uh, and it's it's a fantastic feeling. Like, the way they've been playing, it has felt like a completely different team and, like, a completely new season. Remember when they couldn't go, like, below or above 500 by more than a few games? They hadn't had a four-game win streak. They hadn't had a four-game losing streak. They were in purgatory. I dubbed it the purgatory of mid. They were precisely one of the more consistently mediocre teams in baseball. And everyone kind of knew, like, okay, they're probably a little bit better than this. There are clear flaws being exposed in the team, i.e. the offense. But given that, we knew some guys were underperforming. Julio was underperforming. I would say probably Teoscar Hernandez was underperforming. They had Colton Wong having the worst season in the league, uh, not something they anticipated. I think um, a lot of stuff was just going wrong, but clearly they were still a good enough team. The front office had raised the floor of this team to be at least a fringe wildcard contender, even if everything wasn't going correct. And I criticized them. Because they built the team around, they needed these guys to be the best versions of themselves and didn't give themselves much insurance in that, which I think baseball is all about insurance, getting enough quality through your your lineup to be insured that even if your best players aren't playing well, you'll still be a, you know able to keep afloat. And this team was teetering on being afloat. They were they were it felt many moments in this season they were sinking. And then they kept, you know, getting their head above water briefly to catch some air. And that feels like a freaking lifetime ago that they were like that. They were so mediocre for so long. And everyone, including myself, was saying time was running out because time was kind of running out. It was the all-star break and we were all like, well, something has got to give. They've been playing a little bit better leading up to the all-star break. Something has to give because they can't just keep being mediocre the whole time because they're not going to make the playoffs doing that. Something has to give. They have to make trades. Guys have to hit better. I don't know. That's for the front office to figure out. They They couldn't just keep playing mediocre ball the whole year. And expect anything to happen. They would need something like a 14-game winning streak to happen like it did last year. The team was better on paper to start the year than last year before the team went on the 14-game win streak. I believe that team was a few games under 500 before they went on that win streak. So the floor of this team was already better than last year's, but everyone's, everyone, and including myself, was like, well, they have to have a 14-game win streak type thing to even be considered a playoff contender at this point. And that's not something you should just bank on. That's not something you can count on. But we're all basically saying they have to kind of do something like that if they want to make the playoffs. And God damn it, they fucking did it. They decide to be the best team in baseball from July 1st on. They go on two separate eight-game win streaks in the month of August alone and are now first in the division on August 28th, with one, I don't know, what, 35 days to, to play in the season. On August 15th, they had a 3.2% chance to win the division, and now it's 41.3%. And shout out to the Rangers. Again, like I said earlier in this episode, they're on a 1-9. and nine. They lost 8 straight recently. The Mariners are on a 9-1. and one. It has taken a collapse from the Rangers and an absolutely scorching month from the Mariners to turn around 40% chance now, a 41.3% to win the division, up 39% from literally two weeks ago. That is, uh, I wouldn't say it's unprecedented, but that is insane. 
absolutely insane. Because even when they were playing well, at that point, let's let's just take August 15th when they had a 3.2% chance to win the division. It was before the Rangers went on this huge slide. The Mariners were playing awesome by then. The vibes were awesome. And it was like we're in the wild card race. We're, we are firmly a wild card contending team with um, the the rest of the wild card contending team. Like we're firmly with the Astros. We're firmly with the Blue Jays. And we're kind of a cut above the only other team contending, like the Red Sox. And then clearly above <clears throat> what the Yankees were doing, what the Angels were doing, what the Guardians were doing. There's not many other teams besides that right now in the race. Those are the teams in the race. And now I sit here and speak at you at the end of August, and they are more likely to win the division than they were to even make the wild card a month ago. Insane. They're 36 and 14 since July 1st, 19 and 5 in August. It has been an absolute joy to watch this baseball team the past few weeks. This month has been amazing. July was great, but this month is top July. Two two separate eight-game winning streaks, and the game, the games they dropped in between those uh, eight-game winning streaks was uh, the... What was it? One, a 1-0 loss against the Orioles, a 5-3 loss against the Orioles and a 7 to 6 loss against the Royals and then another 8 game win streak and then a 5 to 4 loss against the White Sox. So theoretically they couldn't they could have no losses in this whole month. Obviously it's not a thing to say. Uh, a 6-4 loss to start the month against the Red Sox. Haven't been blown out at all. Those losses are one or two runs. They have been just playing fantastic baseball. You can boil it down to whatever stat, whatever moments, whatever. All They've just been playing better baseball. They've been making less mistakes. There have been noticeable less mistakes, at least on the base path. Less hanging heads. The guys are clearly rallying around each other. The clubhouse is cooking. And the catalyst, while the entire team has been playing pretty great ball, the catalyst has been Julio especially for the month of August. Uh, but since, I mean, since August or since July 1st, if we want to take it all the way back to when this run kind of began, he's been a top 10 player in the sport. Top five hitter, probably. Only one hitter has compiled more F war in that time. And that factors in defense too. But in that time, it's Mookie Betts with 3.8 war since July 1st, which is actually ridiculous. Uh, and then Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio Rodriguez, the top two prospects in baseball, uh, what, two years ago, are two and three on that list with 3.2 F4 each since July 1st. Julio, since in that span, he's played 47 games. He is slashing 350, 404, and 573, a 413 Woba, a 171 WRC+, an isolated power to 223, 10 home runs, 42 RBIs, 17 steals, and still playing great defense and has just been hitting the ball so well. I mean, it's not even like he's cut down on his strikeouts a drastic amount. He's In that time, he's striking out 22% of the time, which is lower than where he's been at. And it's not like he's been walking that much. His walk rate is 6.7%. That's not That's like league average. If anything, that's slightly below league average. He's just been hitting. His BABIP is 422, which again, if you don't know, it's batting average on balls in play. So like his his streak where he 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 goes on uh, what was it? He reaches base on like 17 consecutive balls in play. One was an error, but the rest were hits. Some of it definitely some luck in there. But when you're putting the ball in play hard and on the ground, those result in base hits a lot more than if you're not hitting the ball hard or if you're hitting the ball like fly balls more, unless you're just an insane home run hitter. It's been a noticeable change in approach. Uh, I don't even think a drastic swing change. I just think he's getting his hands around the ball a lot quicker now. He's actually pulling pitches on the inside half of the plate. He is having a lot more power out to left field, 
which was a huge issue, especially in the month of June that I highlighted during that month. Uh, and then he's continued doing everything else well. He's running the bases well. He's playing defense well. Uh, he's hitting the ball the other way still. He's never stopped doing that. And he's still hitting the ball really hard. That is the key. That's why I'm not going to rest my laurels on it. But I've said the whole year Julio Rodriguez is going to be fine. I said that since the start of the season when he started struggling. Uh, and it's, if anyone, especially people on Twitter, and it's Twitter, it's not real life, but people on Twitter were like, Man, wow, un- like not not even joking, they were saying, send this guy to AAA, which is hilarious. And people were, were, sh- were shitting on him like, man, I'm tired of watching this guy swing and miss. Listen, those people just simply don't know ball. The whole year, I was cool on his slump. I said, he's going to be fine. Because even in the slump of all slumps that he had in the month of July, I think he had like a 600 OPS. He was hitting for no power. The only hard balls he was hitting was the other way. But he was making outs. He was still hitting the ball pretty hard. He was still... He he wasn't barreling as much, but the balls he was hitting was still hard, and he still had a pretty decent contact rate on pitches in the zone. And it's like, listen, he's going to be fine. And look, he's figured it out. He's an MVP candidate. If Shohei Otani didn't exist, the MVP race in the American League would be real spicy, and he'd be in it. Uh, but Shohei's going to win it. So we'll see how the voting shakes out. But I, I tweeted yesterday, he's... In, in one month's time, he's played himself into a top five MVP candidate, an MVP candidate out and out beside Shohei. Like, it's it's a race for second place at this point. But it's just crazy what he's done. The team obviously has been playing at scorching pace. And, and Julio has said this specifically, um, that basically, like, this is what they're capable of, the team. I think right now the team is playing a little above what they're capable of. I don't think this is an 110 win team. I don't think that's what they're capable of. I think they're capable of being a very good team. A 90 to 95 win team. I I think I think saying this is what they're capable of. This is an historic hot streak. But I, th- and it's not even discounting what they've done. Like, I think it's a little bit more than what they're truly capable of long term. But it's insane. Uh, it's a testament to how scorching they've been to say, like, maybe they're playing a little above what they could be. And that's not even a knock. Like, the production from, like, Josh Rojas uh, and, like, Cade Marlowe, even, like, Justin Topa to an extent because he's been, like, otherworldly. And guys like that. I don't think is as sustainable at the production level they've been at for long term. Speaking as a little nerd and a run like this, you got to get a little lucky here and there as a whole team. They were getting unlucky earlier in the year, a huge run like this, especially in baseball, you have to get a little lucky. But that being said, this is what Julio I think is capable of. This is what Luis Castillo is capable of. Cal Raleigh, Teoscar Hernandez, George Kirby. This is what all of them are capable of. And that is what the ceiling of this team is. It's those guys. It's those guys. And the way they've been playing, it obviously raises the team. And I, I when Julio says this is what we're capable of, I think he I think it's what he is capable of. It's what the stars and the core of this team is capable of. And if they're playing like this, like the sky is the limit on this team. Especially when you're rolling, you never feel like you're going to lose in baseball. So, like, who cares what what the on-paper limits of this team are? Like, they've played, <laughs> seen them all play this well is awesome. Like, with intention, with drive, with uh, just clear a clear want-to-win attitude. Uh, I mean, they've played themselves into the freaking division race. It's crazy that we're even talking about the division when September's about to start. They've been the best team in baseball in August. Are they the best team in baseball? No, I don't think so. But they were showing the quality throughout the team and the quality of the core, and they're proving that they're a bona fide playoff contender. That is likely here to stay. The month of August has shown how potent they can be in the short term, too. Like, this is... Like nine, what are the, what did I say they were nineteen and five in August? That's like that's a playoff run, amount of time. <laughs> the 
the month of August has shown that and they can take care of business and they've also can play contenders really close. And when Julio is playing like this and you get even marginal contributions from the rest of the lineup, and it's been way better than marginal, but you get my point. If Julio's playing like this, the sky is the limit because of how well they've developed the pitching side of the squad. Like if Julio and Cal Raleigh specifically, two homegrown fellas, are playing like they have been, and the rest of the lineup is even league average, with the pitching staff they've built, that's still an incredibly good and talented team. And luckily, the rest of the guys on the lineup have been picking up the slack. Tay Oscar, again, on a hot streak. I'm glad they they held on to him. I wanted them to hold on to him. And then Josh Rojas come from the Diamondbacks, maybe tweaked a couple things, and is actually hitting for power and elevating the ball. Like Dominic Canzone's been pretty solid. Cade Marlowe's come up and made an impact. It's, I mean, Ty France hasn't sucked as much as he did earlier in the year either. That's helped. It's just, it's just been awesome. Because, and you look at this month of August, and like I said, they've took care of business and they've played contenders really well. They start the month of August. They end July with the Red Sox series that bleeds into August. And they take two of three from the Red Sox. And then they mop the Angels in Anaheim. They sweep the Padres in a short two-game series. Then they lose two out of three to the Orioles, but again, they won 9-2, they lost 1-0, to zero, they lost 5-3. to three. Played a maybe the best team in the American League, very close. And then they take three of four from the Royals. Those pesky little Royals, that cursed-ass series in Kansas City, regardless, that team is not very good, and they won three of four, and they have to. They had to do that. They go to Houston. They sweep the Astros in Houston. Unheard of. They go to Chicago to play the White Sox. They take two or three from the White Sox. That's fine. The White Sox are bad. They won the series. Then the Royals come to town again, and they sweep the Royals in Seattle. That is as balanced of a team schedule as I can see in a month. They've like Those are not very good teams, but then you, you sprinkle in Orioles and Astros in the middle of it, and they didn't get spanked. They continued to absolutely pummel. Just impressive. It's just impressive. It's just been awesome. Like, what is it? Look at what this team has been doing. And they now have the athletics come to town. And if they can take care of business against the A's, that ends the month of August. And they could theoretically end the month of August 22 and 5. And a, like, a game, two games, three games is in play above the Rangers or the Astros in the American League West if they like sweep the A's. I mean, two out of three would be fine. A sweep would be great because, yeah, the A's are bad, especially at home. A sweep would be phenomenal. It's, oh, man, it gets me fired up. It gets me so fired up to see the team playing this well. It really does. And as I mentioned... Julio has been the catalyst, but and and the rest of the guys are picking up the slack. Like the production from Josh Rojas has been awesome. Jared Kelnick's coming back soon in September, especially with expanded rosters. They'll be able to put him on the team without sending anyone down, uh, which is good. And I can't imagine having Jared Kelnick on the team is going to uh, detract at all from the team. Uh, obviously, I think it could only go well, especially with you have a Canzone and you have a Marlowe who now have proven, like, if those are your two backup outfielders slash DHs, like Kelnick can DH, Teo can DH, and then Julio in center field, and you have four outfielders to play the corner spots, all have been pretty solid, that is a good situation. And if Kelnick is hitting anything like he had been, not saying he's going to be scorching like April, but any like any anywhere close to league average, slightly above league average, kind of like we saw before he got hurt, putting in good play appearances. I it's just only going to be good. Uh, and then I do want to talk a little bit. I talked earlier. I said earlier at the top of the show I'm going to shill some Cal Raleigh propaganda because Julio's been the catalyst, but Cal is right behind him, man. Cal has been absolutely money for this team the whole year has been good but recently oh recently it's Adley Rutschman it's Will Smith 
it's Sean Murphy, it's William Contreras, and then it's Cal motherfucking Big Dumper Raleigh. Those are the top five, top five catchers in the game right now and moving forward. And if anyone who disagrees can fight me, they can absolutely fight me. Cal Raleigh's name belongs on that list. Where's JT Realmuto? Down year this year, he doesn't belong on this list with Cal Raleigh. Come on. Let's look. Let's look. Just this season, the F4 leaders among catchers, Sean Murphy in first with 4.2, William Contreras in second, 4.1, who I feel like no one's talking about how good William Contreras has been, uh, particularly behind the plate. And then Cal Raleigh, third place, 3.7 war, F4, third among all catchers. And on Fangraphs, they have this little stat that's just defense, which is just uh, defensive value against the league, fielding and positional adjustment combined. So combined against your peers and amongst the league, just a defensive metric. He is fifth overall in that, which is impressive. And then he's fifth overall in the offensive metric. And then he sits at third overall in war, like I said. And he's first in home runs among catchers this year with 25. Just just a phenomenal year so far. And a phenomenal, phenomenal catcher. Uh, not to mention, he's also catching maybe the best pitching staff in baseball as well. Uh, he should get credit for that. I think he clearly has shown he can get it done at the plate as a striking out a little above league average. He draws walks at a slightly above league average rate, which is good. And then he socks dingers. A 25 home run season is fantastic for a catcher, especially because he's a catcher. Catchers, we just don't evaluate them the same. Uh, You kind of have to evaluate them versus other catchers. And when you're looking at who might be the best offensive catchers in baseball too, not just overall balance. Like it's been Will Smith the past five years. He's steadily been the best offensive catcher in the league for sure. Uh, Maybe Wilson Contreras is in that conversation. Uh, Sean Murphy this year has been awesome, but then Cal Raleigh and Adley Rutschman, while Adley is a little bit different, he walks a lot more and strikes out a lot less. Doesn't quite hit for as much power though. Similar outputs in terms of offensive numbers, just different in the way they get to those outputs. And then they both manage uh, behind the plate really well. Really well. The guys, the pitching staffs of both teams have um, talked about how steady and how great that both of those guys have been. It's just been... After, after such a long while, my entire life, I never had a franchise catcher in my entire life. Mike Zanino was the closest thing to that. And now I get to watch Cal Raleigh. We all get to watch him as a franchise catcher. And I think I've talked about this on the show before. Franchise catcher or catcher in general is one of those that you can pull all the stats like I just said. I can throw a bunch of stats at you to show why Cal Raleigh is a top five catcher. Why... JT Riomoto the past five years has probably been the best catcher in baseball and why he's having a down year this year. But it's also, there. I think catcher might be the most, I don't know, un, untangible based position in, in the sport. Uh, and we've tried. Stati- statisticians, I shouldn't lump myself in with them. I'm not a statistician. But they've tried to, to accumulate all of the stats they possibly can to evaluate catchers Uh, Like they haven't before. Like they have the pop time now. They have uh, framing runs. They have generic outs above average for catchers. They have like catchers range. Um, They have um, like just different ways to evaluate how a catcher receives the ball. But there's still the intangible of the catcher is the backbone of a contending team. And you have to have a good relationship with the pitching staffs a good relationship with your fielders behind the pitcher. And in this day and age, you at least kind of have to hit a couple dingers here and there as a catcher. You can kind of be a Martin Maldonado, but that's only if your team is built like the Astros. And it's what Buster Posey brought to the Giants. I've talked about this a lot. 
Buster Posey, obviously generational, a generational catcher in terms of statistic output, but also the reason why those Giants won the World Series was not about stats. Those Giants World Series were an absolute trip. I mean, Edgar Renteria won World Series MVP, for Christ's sake. They had mishmashed veteran lineups, all of them consisting of Buster Posey anchoring both the pitching staff and the lineup in both. I think it a franchise catcher is just you can't say enough how important they are to the team. I mean, look at what Adley has already done to the Orioles. He shouldn't be attributed all of their come up this year because obviously they have they've brought up a million top prospects this year and they've all been pretty good. And the team offense specifically has been built pretty well. But since coming up last year, there's been a noticeable bump in the Orioles. And I think a big part of that is just having a rock, an absolute rock behind the home plate with leadership qualities and everything else. And that is what Cal Raleigh and Adley Rutschner have been. And that's what they will be for years. And that's what Cal Raleigh He's he's a he's a captain type of, type of guy. It seems like if JP wasn't that guy, I think we'd be looking at Cal. And just cannot speak enough about what he means to the team. Has just been has just been amazing. So that is my propaganda. Kyrelli, he's top five catcher in baseball, and I don't think people talk about it enough. All right, and that was my half an hour rant on the Mariners absolutely firing me up. Now, talk about something a little bit more sad. Emerson Hancock going to be out for the season. Uh, put on that IL for shoulder strain, and then they transferred him to the 60-day, um, which doesn't mean he's going to take 60 days to recover. I mean, when they put him on there, there was like 40 days left in the season. So it's just signaling he's not going to pitch the rest of the year with a shoulder strain. I, It's tough. It's really tough. It's not like the team absolutely needs him. Uh, but it was good to see him finally make his debut, and we saw what his stuff was going to look like in the big leagues. Uh, and clearly the Mariners have done such a good job pitching development-wise uh, that I think long-term he's probably going to be fine. It's just he's battled injuries his whole career, and to see him already be hurt is just really unfortunate for him specifically. Uh, it just sucks. You finally make it to the bigs and you get hurt. Um, I'm hoping all the recovery goes, goes well and just uh, he can come back next season and and look strong because there was a lot of promise at least in what we saw clearly talented pitcher just um hasn't managed to stay super healthy and it's, it's clear with the the shoulder strain i think the way he delivers the baseball i think puts a little bit more strain on his shoulder than a lot of pitchers i think that's that's a reason uh, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if they change his delivery at all or if he just sticks with it. Uh, it just sucks to see him go out. But uh, it was simultaneously he went out and Brian Wu came back. So at least that, I mean, at least Emerson provided some cover there. And then there was talk of a six-man rotation when he was healthy. And then uh, Depoto shut that down after he went on the IL because it's you know it's not really a, it's just not really capable of doing a six-man now that he's he's out. And then another pitching update. Luke Weaver, a man the Mariners just added to the team, uh, Mariners legend, uh, picked him up last year in 2022, never actually played a game for the Mariners, and then he's been pitching on the Reds this season. He's been really not great for the Reds as a starter, uh, but Jordan Schusterman pointed this out of Cespedes Family Barbecue, mentioned before on their show, big fans, uh, but he was dreadful in the first inning as a Reds starter. Uh, and the Mariners are not going to be starting him. So we'll be seeing him as like a long relief guy. I think right now, I think the Mariners could pick up anyone in the world and put them in the bullpen and they would probably be useful, uh, especially when rosters expand and you can kind of just sit him in the bullpen and he can give you like three innings as a starter type out of the bullpen will be valuable. Uh, I still think he's he's clearly got good stuff. Um, it's weird that his first innings were so bad with the Reds, uh, but at least he's not going to be a starter anymore. So putting him in the bullpen permanently, maybe that'll be good for him. And I doubt we'll see him in many like high leverage situations unless he proves he's absolutely dynamite out there. 
Uh, I think he's basically going to satisfy the Chris Flexen role that we thought Chris Flexen was going to be in the whole year. But that, yeah, that's that's it for Luke Weaver. And then nearing the latter half of the show now, I want to talk about three particular minor league men for a second. Lazaro Montez. Now, I haven't talked about him on the show yet. He did last year make my minors, uh, Mariners minor league team of the year because he absolutely freaking raked, I believe, in the... Dominican Summer League, I think he was in. Lozaro Montez is an absolutely gigantic human being. He is 18 years old, and he is apparently 6'3", 210, which is right on where, where Trump's measurements were, funny enough. Uh, no, he's, a, he's an absolutely gigantic 18-year-old who is now with the Modesto Nuts. And boy, has he been raking. Uh, his first stateside season, it's been 58 games. He's slashing 305, 446, 589 with a 1,035 OPS, 60 hits, 16 doubles, 2 triples, 12 dingers, 53 RBIs, and then 47 walks and 61 Ks. That is a sexy K to walk ratio for a power hitting lefty like this. And that's good for 180 WRC+. There's big Jordan Alvarez comps for this guy, and you can see the reason why. You can see the reason. You look at his swing, and I think someone's put it next to Jordan's. Both gigantic left-handed power hitters. Looms very large in the box. Kind of loads the same and is similar in build enough, and the swing is similar, but you you can definitely see it. You can see the Jordan comps. I'm not gonna throw it on him right now, because he's in a ball and I will wait until he's producing Jordan numbers to compare him to Jordan. I don't think it's fair to compare guys to big leaguers, but the swing for sure. I see it. I see it in the body in the swing. Uh, and it's awesome. You go to Mariners miners on Twitter and look up just a couple of the home runs he's hit this year. He looks like a man among boys out there sometimes. Like it reminds me. And I remember this, vividly it was my second year in majors baseball in little league i must have been what 13 12 or 13 because you could play three years in the minor in majors in my little league system in the state of washington um and we were in the championship game playing the team that we expected to play because not only were they a good team like we were a good team but they had this one kid who was in his third year of majors, and he must have been in eighth grade. He was straight up 6'1", massive human being. I remember um, having to field a line drive in left field when he hit it to me. An absolute rocket. That thing must have been 110 off the bat. He was holding the bat. It looked like a Major League Baseball player holding a Little League bat. That is kind of what Lazaro Montez has reminded me of. He just he's 18, but he's huge and socking big dingers down there in Modesto. Huge first stateside season, really encouraging. And going into next year, man, I'm gonna have a minor league episode at the end of this year. But as I said, I don't remember when I said it, but. I think it was when the top prospect reports came out and the Mariners didn't have very many on there. I said there's a lot of good ones in the low minors. I was like, I knew there was a lot of talent who hadn't played stateside yet, like Lazaro Montez. And um, look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. Just really encouraging. Going into next year, he'll probably see double A. And if he hits well in double A, I mean, guys are getting promoted so quick to the bigs now. Not out of the realm of possibility we see him next season. Because if he puts up those numbers in double A, they might just fast track him. Like, teams are just doing that. Because there's more incentive to get your guys up uh, into the bigs now rather than wait. For a lot of different reasons now. Uh, But that's Lazaro Montez. First stateside season, killing it. And then the top two Mariners draft picks of this season, Colt Emerson and Ty Pete, they have scorched in their first couple, uh, their first few professional games. They both started out in the rookie leagues and then quickly got promoted to Modesto 
with uh, where Lazara Montez is. But Ty Pete, who I saw has been playing a little third next to Colt Emerson at shortstop, Ty Pete's first 14 professional games, he is slashing 362, 422, and 552. That's a 974 OPS. Three doubles, one home run, or one triple, two home runs. Both were grand slams in the same game yesterday. His first two professional home runs were both grand slams. He said he'd never hit two home runs in an inning or in a game before, and he hit two grand slams last night. So phenomenal. Uh, he's got to go along with that 17 RBIs, six walks, and 15 strikeouts, uh, and four stolen bases. Uh, it's good for 163 WRC plus amongst. Uh, a ball and rookie ball in those 14 games really promising start uh and it's you know uh, people might look at first round picks especially i mean these guys are out of high school too which makes it more impressive uh like dylan cruz is already in double a but he was probably the <laughs> most mlb ready hitter we've seen in a couple of years coming out of the draft out of college it's crazy to see minor league high school draftees hit the ground running like this, especially two of them in the same draft class. Because uh, a lot of the time you're just looking for anything in rookie ball to to rest your laurels on, and then you go into next season, and really that's where they can hit the ground running. The fact that Ty Pete is doing this and Colt Emerson, I'll read his stats in a second, are doing this immediately, and now in A-ball are doing essentially the same things they were doing in rookie ball for those few games. Very encouraging. I'm not going to say anything about their long-term futures with in, in the big leagues. I'm not going to say their future stars yet, but I think, I think it's clear the Mariners are a fairly competent organization at scouting. I I'm pretty confident in saying that. Uh, so Colt Emerson's first 12 professional games, he's hitting 422, 552, 622. That's an 1174 OPS with 19 hits, six doubles, one dinger, seven RBIs, and then 11 walks and 12 Ks, and then four stolen bases as well. Good for a 190 WRC+. So just great. A little minor league check-in. Things are going swimmingly. Though that's just a couple of the guys. I just wanted to highlight Lazaro Montez because he's unique and massive. And then the two first-round picks who are both 18, lighting the world on fire in low in low A in, in two weeks of games. It's, it's pretty fun to see because there's a lot of other guys who are performing really well in the Mariners system right now as well. There's a lot of talent in a, uh, an A-plus and A-ball, Modesto and uh, Everett. And then a couple of those have already filtered up to Arkansas after Arkansas got gutted, basically, this year by taking all their pitching prospects away from them. But the Miners the miners are humming right now. The Mariners' minor league system, it's working. And that's it with the Mariners' talk. Now I'm just going to talk about Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani, as you have definitely heard if you are following baseball at all, uh, has a torn UCL, partially torn UCL, First of all, uh, the Angels haven't done imaging on his arm at all this year, which is interesting to me. Because um, he's missed a couple starts recently for, I mean, he came out of the game for cramping. He's just been tired, apparently. They haven't imaged his arm at all, which I think is just, obviously, maybe image his arm once when he has cramping or he's tired. Maybe just for safekeeping. But what if they were like, what if we image him and we find more stuff that's wrong besides his arm? Like, that's in the back of your mind. But <laughs> he has torn UCL, which sucks. It really sucks. We're not going to see him pitch the rest of the season, at least. He's going to remain hitting, which is actually crazy. I mean, he came out of the game in a doubleheader, found out he had a torn UCL, Went out in the second game, scorched a double in his first at bat, I'm pretty sure. Just an absolute alien of the baseball player. Uh, this is, it's huge news, and we don't know what's going to happen because if he gets surgery, this will be his second TJ. Remember, he got it initially a few years ago when he first made his trip over here after pitching. He got it in, his, I want to say, second season. And he came back, obviously, and he was fine. And some guys have come back, and they're fine. Look at Justin Verlander now. 40 years old, had such a 
amazing early career and then late career resurgence after Tommy John. It's, I don't know what he's going to do. I just genuinely don't know. He could get a full UCL repair surgery. He could get the brace thing, which I don't know what that means, but it's 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 worked and has guys coming back sooner. Because if he gets surgery at all on his arm, that means he can't hit. But if he has a tear in his UCL, he can clearly still hit. Uh, and this season especially, at least, his pitching has been great, but his hitting has been generational. He has been a better hitter than pitcher this season by a, a decent margin. And he's going to continue the season out hitting, and then who knows what's going to happen. Obviously, this has massive implications on his free agency. I don't think it affects that much about what money he's getting, to be honest. Like, maybe you you don't give him that extra $100 million. But then again, maybe you do, because it's still Shohei Otani. In an owner's mind, and... It's tough to think like an owner because they're so disconnected from reality. But if you're looking at a guy as a return on investment, I think no matter what you give Shohei Otani this offseason and beyond, no matter what, it's going to be a solid money, revenue-driving return on investment. Sponsorships and everything. You get the entire Japanese market hyper-focusing on your baseball team. Merch sales advertisers. I've been to a few Angels games this year because I live down here. You know how many Japanese advertisers are in that stadium? So many. Almost exclusively Japanese advertisers in that stadium for a big reason. So I don't think it's going to affect the money as much. I think, if anything, the contract's going to be more incentive-driven with, you know, innings, pitch, whatever. A lot more incentives, I guess. Um... Maybe, maybe not. I think at the end of the day, it matters who gives them. Like some owners might just be like, screw it. I don't care. No incentives. I'm giving you fully guaranteed $600 million. I don't care about your UCL tear. It's also now, if he elects to get this surgery and continues to want to pitch and hit, how are, how is his new team going to handle it? Is this going to affect the team he goes to because maybe... There's a different medical staff pitch or something. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't think this is going to change as much his free agency trajectory as people might think. That's just my personal opinion because I still think it's Shohei Otani. And uh, no matter what, you're still paying for Shohei Otani. And I don't think he's going to get drastically less money because of this. I just think it changes a lot for him because uh, now... You get the surgery and sign with a new team. That's a whole new team you're rehabbing with. Uh, and he's rehabbed with the Angels. I'm not saying he's re-signing with the Angels, but that's obviously where he'd be most comfortable rehabbing just because he knows he's done it before with that team. But it just sucks. It just sucks. Uh, there's a lingering thought in the back of my mind that maybe he gets a second Tommy John and, and maybe he's still a good pitcher, but maybe not as good as he was these past couple of years. I mean, maybe this season is the best we ever see from him. And that would be in that would be fine too because this season has been maybe the greatest season anyone has ever put together to this point in the year. So, I don't know. I don't know. I say all this was saying I have no idea what's going to happen. We'll just we're just going to have to find out. It makes free agency slightly more interesting. Uh, it's still, who knows where he's going to go. Is he going to get a full surgery? Is he going to, I'm, I am, uh, have the utmost confidence of Shohei Otani to get a second Tommy John and come back strong because it's Shohei Otani. I will believe in anything. Oh, I also just want to say Ben Verlander, the absolute clown on the internet who also has a podcast just like me, but I don't have a famous brother. Uh, he has been really making this about himself since this news. He's like, Oh man, I'm so sad. It's all about me, me, me. Shut up. Shut up, Ben. Nobody who knows ball respects you. All right. Listen, he's listening. I know he's listening right now. Just pipe down. Let the moment live. You don't have to make this, a sad story about yourself. 
But that's all I want to say about Shohei. It sucks. Just in general. It sucks. And then another thing that sucks. Steven Strasburg retired. That really does suck. Uh, I could kind of see it coming. What's good is he's going to get all of the money from the contract because it's fully guaranteed. There's no insurance on it. So that's sick. I don't even think the Nationals and the Nationals owners care. I think they're more than happy to pay him this money. There's been amazing people who've written about what he means to DC and all that. Um, and I'll just give my two cents. He made the Nationals relevant. He made the Nationals relevant. Ryan Zimmerman was there before him and is Mr. National for a reason, but he is not the one that put the Nationals on the map. Steven Strasburg and then the next year Bryce Harper came up. But it was Steven Strasburg. Maybe the greatest pitching prospect we've ever seen coming out of college. Makes his debut, strikes out 14 guys at home against the Pirates. Uh, go watch that game if you haven't. The crowd, you, if you had to guess, it's like the World Series. Game 7 in there. That crowd was standing the entire time. And he delivered... And he delivered a good career with them. He delivered a great career. He was one of the best pitchers on the planet, a top 10 pitcher on the planet for like seven straight years. Maybe not the best pitcher on the planet, but one of the best. And then a poetic final kind of gasp for him was that 2019 playoff run. An otherworldly pitching playoff run. And he pitched like 30 innings. He threw so many innings that whole season. Uh... And he did that a lot. He threw over 200 innings a lot. Uh, but the it's it's poetic. He got a World Series. He got the World Series MVP, and he pitched so well. And he then he signs that contract. And at the time, everyone was like, oh, man, that is crazy. And it's turned out to be kind of crazy. But I'm so glad he's getting paid that money. I Again, I don't think the Nationals' ownership cares about the, this money that they're going to pay him for not playing. I think they're more than happy to pay him because he is... He's probably he's the greatest player in, in Nationals history, I think. He again, he put them on the map. And specific to me, I remember his debut. It's one of my earlier baseball memories of not the Mariners. Of me watching at least some of his debut. I remember it. Uh and that means a lot to me. That means a lot to me. He yeah, he made me realize how cool baseball was sometimes. Uh, that it didn't have to be all about the Mariners. Uh, and really, it's it's amazing that he, he has even tried to come back pitching with how his nerves have been. Um, but good on him for making this decision to retire. Probably a very hard one. But uh, goodbye, Steven Strasburg. What a treat to the game he was. Just an absolute machine out there on the mound. Amazing to watch. Uh, and we'll have a World Series MVP in a ring uh, forever and be enshrined in Nationals history as, as probably the greatest player to go down uh, in their history of the franchise. So salute to Steven Strasburg. I hope retirement goes wonderful for you, Steven. But that's the show, everyone. Thanks for listening this far. If you are and want to feel charitable, subscribe. So when the show downloads or when I upload it, you get it straight to your phone immediately. Uh, rate or review shout my podcast name from the rooftops of where you live that's a good idea actually uh you should do that no but appreciate appreciate you listening this far uh the Mariners play the a's this will be coming out after they play the first game against the a's so let's hope they win that one but they get the a's and then an off day and then they go to New York to play the New York Mets. So that's kind of a weird combination of teams. So we'll see how they do with that. But they're buzzing. I'm buzzing. They're leading the American League West. I can't believe it. Everything's going swimmingly. Uh, but with that, hope you have a good rest of the week. And, of course, go Mariners.